morning and welcome to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Ben Dobbin with you this morning. It is Friday the 23rd of February. A very good morning to everybody listening to us across the Resonate Broadcast Network through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR in Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longridge, 4GC Charters Towers and the Hot Country Network. A very good morning to you. If you've missed any of our previous episodes, you can always... Go to Spotify on Rural Queensland today and you can listen to any of our shows. You can also, uh, in many, many ways, uh, get on and give me an email. Ben.dobbin at ruralqldtoday.com.au. It's that easy. Or get in contact us through our Facebook page. Good morning to everybody through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR in Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longridge, 4GC Charters Towers and the Hot Country Network. A very good morning to you. Uh, look, we've got a big show. Susan McDonald, she's on a Friday. Tim Horan will join us, and we're going to look at this Woolworths fiasco as the CEO stands down. It's funny when you turn against the mob, how the mob can overrun you, and that's what has happened there. Let's get into it. Senator Susan McDonald, she joins us first up. This is Friday morning, the 23rd of February on Rural Queensland Today. Friday morning, Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network, the 23rd of February. Uh, Senator Susan McDonald joins us this morning, and uh, we have so much that is not right in this country. Yesterday I spoke with Mark Davey. We've looked and highlighted just the troubles and the plight of what is going on with this absolute ridiculous laws that are taking place and the advice um, around the carbon footprint and eating different types of protein sources. Senator, good morning. Thank you so much. Charlie Peel wrote an amazing article in The Australian earlier this week. Uh, Concerned is an understatement. Um, No doubt you would be in a lot of ways not surprised but very alarmed. Uh, Good morning to you, Ben. And alarmed doesn't really even start to cover it. This is uh, just the most ridiculous, Big Brother 1984 kind of policy, when we start talking about human food consumption, what is nutritionally appropriate, what is best grown, uh, particularly in Australia where we've got uh, big rangelands and you know smaller areas of intensive cropping along the coast. Uh, but when you start trying to overlay this environmentally uh, environmental so- social good, the ESG principles on the food that we eat. It is a man-made determination. It's a measurement that has got nothing to do with what is good for us as humans to eat, something that we have uh, developed over you know, hundreds of thousands of years to, to be uh, best designed to operate on. And yet now we're going to have somebody who has got no idea about the challenges of farming, about the, the genuine nutritional aspect of food, are starting to set the dietary guidelines based on something that's got nothing to do with diet. Why would they do so, this? Why Why uh, have they gone down? Is this all the grand plan? Then it is uh, something that we've seen snippets of over the years. It, you know, this sort of food, fashion in food. You know, eggs are good, butter's bad, uh, meat's bad. You know, th- things come in and out of fashion, but it has nothing to do with what is actually good for you. And I think that uh, there is too much rhetoric, particularly around a climate that is creeping into, we know it's in education, uh, you know, to now see it in dietary guidelines, will we see it in health? We know we're seeing it in the cost of the motor vehicles that we want to buy. Uh, What about the houses we live in? 
you know, we are starting to design ourselves around a political setting, a, a, an environmental setting that actually has very little to do with what's good for humans and a whole lot to do with what's good for people who sit in high-rise offices, very disconnected from the earth, people, and what's good yeah. for us. I think it's dangerous, and uh, you'll hear a lot from uh, from me and other members of the National Party and the Coalition about we have to push back on, on crazy policy settings before it is too late. We make decisions uh, on where we can farm. Uh, you, know, you know, Victoria started it, no surprise. No surprise, we've now got council uh, councils making decisions Gee on ways. where you can farm, where you can graze. Yeah, it's, it's absolute madness, Ben, and we should protect against with all of our might and power. Yeah, I'm concerned as much as you, and I couldn't get over it. I still can't get over it. I, I, I cannot believe that that's where we are. The taxes keep on going up, and it's all about this carbon footprint. They're hell-bent on it. Um, we all, a lot of us drive Toyotas. I think the, the figure... Um, the cost of cars will go up thirteen thousand five hundred for a extra on a Toyota Land Cruiser alone. This is just ridiculous. Um, we're, well, we're, it you, is. you can't pay for the privilege of driving a car that you need for the, your job. You, you, it's just ridiculous. Well, once again, this is a complete lack of understanding of what it's like to live at work, particularly in regional Australia, but also even if you're living in a city and you want the choice. You want to be able to choose if you're going to drive a Toyota Corolla or an electric vehicle. Uh, you might want a hybrid. You might want a whole lot of uh, for, for various reasons. And you will no longer have the choice if the government goes down this fuel emission standards because the big car manufacturers, uh, when they're deciding about when to, where to send cars in the world, Australia is a very small market. And so it will be very easy for them to, to look at the government's directions and say, oh, God, okay, well, if I, if I can't balance out selling this car with that car, I'm only going to send the end of the line, small, a bit of the range uh, that will suit the Australian market because right-hand drive cars are not in the big majority in the rest of the world. They design left-hand cars and they design them for markets that don't have the fuel emission requirements, Ben. So, again, I don't know. The Albanese government came in only a bit over 18 months ago. Shiny and new, we're going to fix the world, but, you know, you can trust us. We're safe hands. But the way that oh they have God. waded through these ideological positions with uh, certainly no input from, from industry, from consumers, from taxpayers, and at every turn, Ben, they are making decisions. They're coming to forks in the road. Do we go left or right? They're going left every time. They're making decisions that are bad for Australians. Bad for Australians. Why are they hell, Ben? What is this? Is it because they cut the deal with the Greens? And the Greens have showed even this week um, with some of the laws that they're, they're trying to push through how out of touch they are. Do you think it's because of the fact that they did cut this deal that it's got to this state? Uh, uh, certainly the Greens are a big influence. They need to get the Greens numbers to put things through the Senate. Uh, but they've got people like David Pocock, you know, inner city Canberra, that's absolutely the last of the true bubbles where uh, people have very little contact with the real world anymore, I'm afraid to say. But there are so many Labor members of Parliament now. You know, this is not the Labor Party of old that used to talk about workers and uh, 
and, and regional places. This is a group of people that has come up through the union movement, through uh, law school. Uh, they have never run a business. I think I've talked to you before about the lack of experience in running a small business, even working in a small business. Uh, these are people who are just out of touch, out of touch with what it's like to work casually as a second job in a family, struggling to make ends meet. I mean, Australian standard of living has fallen again this year by about 7%. So if people are wondering whether or not they feel like they're better or worse off since Albanese and his team came to power, well, they're feeling worse off. It's not just everything's more expensive. Uh, it is true. They are struggling to make ends meet. And it is because of this layering of policies <clears throat> from the government that are that are not good for us. They're increasing the cost of food, of fuel, of electricity. Uh, in fact, pretty well anything that you go to buy at the moment costs more. Uh, and, you know, our, our standard of living way of life cannot hold up to, to the implementation of these policies. The IR will be the next one. This, this is incredibly serious, Ben, and I, I need people to start thinking about... Yeah, it's really choice. serious. It really is. Yeah. Choice is so important. The nickel crisis, can we talk about that? I, I hate having three really disappointing things, but that's an issue as well. It is because we've been thinking about how do we expand our footprint from being Australia, the producer of great agricultural products and great uh, mining uh, you know, ore bodies, how do we move from taking things and sending them overseas in their raw product? How do we do more value add down the food chain so that we get benefit of that here too, the higher value for the product, more jobs? And so in the mining sector, nickel uh, and lithium are the ones that really spring to mind. We've um, also got a copper refineries, aluminium, but nickel was the, the big in-demand product that we were really thinking we would be able to mine nickel uh, and then process it and send it offshore for you know use in all sorts of, uh, of products internationally. Uh, unfortunately, and, I, and I've been talking about this, you, you'll remember for the last 18 months, that at every turn we have had the government make choices around uh, policies and intervening into uh, markets, so whether it be electricity prices whether it be the safeguards mechanism and a tax on emissions, we have step after step had interventions into uh, the gas market that have meant that the cost of production in Australia has gone up by 30% in the last couple of years. Now, 30% is not sustainable when nickel prices have fallen. Now, nickel prices are not that bad, but Australia is just becoming uncompetitive. That means that there will be three to 4,000 direct jobs, people who are on an average of $155,000 a year, those direct jobs, and then the, the flow on, the more indirect jobs, 10,000 jobs across the nickel wow. industry that will go. That yeah. will go because this government has not understood that when you election process, Australian workforce loses out. Yeah. And every small business that supplies tyres and gear and um, contracts to mines, they lose out. You know, so we have been, uh, for the last 12 months, I've been saying to the resource minister, you've got to put nickel on the critical minerals list. You've got to give them access to the critical minerals fund. 
Yeah. We've got to start developing some serious partnerships with Japan and America that we're a priority supplier. None of that has happened. Now they're rushing around like headless chickens trying to figure out what to do about nickel. Very concerned that the, the ship has sailed. And nickel oh. is is just the canary in the coal mine because how do we establish other value-add industries when those industries will look at what's happened to nickel and go, oh, I'm just not sure that Australia is the place we want to be. Well, that's what they're doing. So, that is what they're yeah. doing. Susan, I appreciate your time. The, the three really big hot topics, and thank you so much for giving us some time this morning on Friday morning. We really appreciate it. We'll talk again shortly. And, and Ben, good luck to all the players who are going off to the States this weekend. They will do Australia proud and promote rugby league into, into that big American market. Good on you. Yep, it's going to be a good couple of weeks. I appreciate it. Good on you. Um, this is Rural Queensland today. Georgie Somerset joins us next. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Um, the president of AgForce is Georgie Somerset, and I talked about this earlier on this week, um, also when I spoke with Mike Gearan, but just the whole scenario around uh, the decision that's going to be made by the Environmental Department here in Queensland over the Great Artesian Basin. Georgie, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us. Good morning, Ben. Uh, this is as serious as it gets with the Great Artesian Basin and the aquifer. The Ag Force have come out with a fighting fund and, and asked its members to consider making donations to put towards trying to take legal action if this decision goes in Glencord's favour. Firstly, how concerned are you of this and the likelihood that it is going to end up in the courtroom? Oh, well, I'm very, I'll take it in two parts. I'm very concerned because I think that so many people rely on the Great Artesian Basin. It is a lifeblood. I grew up, grew up in Western Queensland. I know how critical the GAB is to people. And it's not just about ag and industry. It's also about towns and families and uh, the environment. Um, our Indigenous community have had a deep connection with the GAB as well. And then around uh, ending up in court, I, I'm really hoping we don't. But we we have no surety at the moment. Um, we can't get a 100% guarantee from the Queensland Government at this stage. And a process we're going through is actually asking the Environment Minister federally, to, um, Mr Plibersek, to really review the whole process because I'm concerned that even if the Queensland Government said no to this one, that we'd have another application in the months to come. And so I think this is about you know, fundamentally linking this activity, carbon capture and storage, with what its origin is, which is the coal mining and the coal-fired power station. And, and so this is, you know, I'm really hopeful we don't end up in court, Ben, but even the process we're going through take significant funds and we need to be prepared. And um, we're not just asking members, we're actually getting quite a few donations from just the general public, people who are really concerned. Certainly in the state, I've been talking to my counterparts in New South Wales and, and the Northern Territory particularly and producers in South Australia. And um, there's a lot of concern there as well because the gap is significant for you know three states and the Territory. It's more than significant. It's the lifeblood of rural and regional Australia and, and why why we've even got to this point. Can you see the hypocrisy um, around the Great Barrier Reef laws that were passed and, and the protection of the reef, which they've so fondly talked about? Now, if you talk with Dr Peter Reid, this, the science is very, very different to what they're hanging on to. A bit like the vegetation laws. Yet this one that is a as is important as anything to the environment, they're willing to to potentially risk, 
to absolutely 100% disregard the advice that they've they've got and they're hanging on to science once again. Look at it and, you know, Australians travel all over the world and go to hot springs. We have our very own hot spring in Australia. It's the Great Artesian Basin. You know, if you go out to Mitchell and Kunnamulla have just opened their bars, yep. this is unseen and that's one of the challenges I think is that people can see the Great Barrier Reef, people can see the Sydney Harbour, um, people can, can see those bodies of water. This is such a significant body of water that services and is, as you say, the lifeblood for inland Australia. And I know people are quite amazed. You know, when I was in tourism in the 1980s in, in outback Queensland, um, people were quite blown away by the concept of a deep bore and the fact that two-thirds of a property could be gravity-fed from that one bore. You know, the the science and the innovation that had gone into that, you know, decades before we were there. And sharing that story, people get really connected to it. But it is unseen, and so Australians don't know about this. And that's one of the reasons we, we have gone public. We did take a full-page ad in The Australian yesterday, as well as other regional um, well, metropolitan dailies in Wollongong, Newcastle and Canberra, because we think that people don't realise this is happening. We think there are producers in Queensland who didn't know this was happening until we started to talk more publicly about it. Um, and we actually need people to be aware, and we need people to get behind this campaign. It is so important. I, I um, myself, I've donated, and I mean that. People listening, and I, they have to, whether or not you're in town, whether or not you are just living in a regional area, you need to make a donation. And I mean that. It doesn't matter how much. It's not. It's not about the the value of it. It's about getting behind. It's about making a donation. I I, I feel so strongly about this in that sense that. We have to 100% make it clear that we are just absolutely going to fight this and then maybe something can happen. Can I talk about the yeah. renewables as well? When I, it, it, That's got out of hand, right out of hand, Georgie. And, 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 I, and I'm concerned as well because of where we've got to now that this, this is not only dividing communities, but it's dividing the state and something needs to happen and real quick about it. Yeah, well, you and I have talked about it already this year. Um, I think the the thing is with renewables is that we don't have a legislative framework in which it's operating and we don't have a plan for the state. And we have raised that with the Premier. We are concerned that we don't know the full impact. No one actually knows that there's sort of no one person or, or body or department that knows exactly who's out there talking to who because these are commercial negotiations. And I recognise that this is a real opportunity for some people. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm certainly, I know that this is going to happen, but we need to make sure that agriculture is considered and more than that, communities are considered and that we actually have long-term benefit for communities. I'm certainly living right in the thick of it at the moment. There's a, there's a lot of activity across the Western Downs and the, the South Burnett regions, and that will continue because we do have power lines. And I know that the people between sort of Gladstone and, and Calide on that power line, there's a lot happening. What we are asking for is a plan. We, we just don't know what the impact's going to be because solar applications go through local government um, and seek approval that way. Wind farms go straight to the coordinator general because of their size and magnitude. And so there is no coordination point. But as I say, these are individual commercial negotiations. I'm also conscious that a lot of producers don't understand and aren't across the, the complexity of negotiating with a renewable company either. 
Georgie Somerset joins us this morning. We'll take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today. You're with Ben Dobbin. It is the 23rd of February. Georgie Somerset, our guest this morning. With all these issues, and and I, and I say this, and, and you don't shy away from this, there are talking to people, there is some disillusion graziers and operators with Ag Force at the moment, and that's off the back of you know, the clean economy jobs bill and the mm. fact that the Ag Force was standing right behind the Labor leaders when this bill was passed to try and get emissions to 75% by 2035. Would you accept that in, in some people's eyes that they feel that Ag Force has sold them out and, and hasn't spoken on behalf of the Ag community? What, what we can achieve by actually being in the room, and you and I have talked about this often and you know that my belief is we have to be in the room um, yeah, I get you have to have sorry. a seat at the table, but to be standing there well, with the same people, the same people that have single-handedly tried to destroy our, our industry and our livelihood, and, and and you do a phenomenal job but, on McCallum's board. Is, I mean, the thing is that, that the legislation was going to get introduced whether we were there or not, but the fact that we were there meant that um, Mike Guerin was able to actually talk about the role that agriculture is playing and the fact that agriculture is the industry that has significantly reduced its emissions. We have developed a low emissions roadmap that doesn't have targets and punitive measures in it because we sat at the table for many meetings to take the Department of Agriculture on that journey that you do not need to put more measures and targets and restrictions on agriculture. You actually need to work with agriculture because we are the solution. So I think it's absolutely critical that we get that message across to other people that you are not going to do this without agriculture, that we're actually a key to it. And I think you know, the, the reality is that they're on this inexorable march and they've got targets. And this carbon capture and storage project is completely linked to that because this is about how um, coal can be, in, and these are my words, they're not technical words, made clean in inverted commas. And, and I'm not anti the carbon capture and storage technology. I just don't want it put into an aquifer no as, an, as, a globe, as a global experiment. But this is actually about meeting targets. You know, we know that this is part of the, the the process of, and if you go back to some of the early things around carbon capture and storage, it was certainly being talked about with the, ga- the gas industry as well. So we know that um, these things are going to proceed, the technology is going to be developed, and we need to make sure that agriculture is there so we don't inadvertently end up like this again, where we're fighting things in the public arena and we're taking out full-page ads to stand up for agriculture. It's because ridiculous. The, the, the green agenda means that they're experimenting with our asset. So, but that's I what that this bill. That's what the, in supporting their bill, right, and, and, and having a seat at the table, and in supporting the clean economy jobs bill um, that was introduced, and standing there with them, they don't listen anyway. Like you would think, if okay, and, and I'm just going to talk in my terms. Okay, so Ag Force and they've got a seat at the table. They've explained this. Well then, why would the government allow this other garbage to go on? Why wouldn't they put their? Why wouldn't they talk to the environmental department? Why have they continued to push down this road, knowing full well? So, it wouldn't have made a difference whether or not we were there or not. From the looks of it, their behaviour since then, that would suggest that even though we have a seat at the table, they don't regard us in any value whatsoever. Well, we chip away, Ben. I mean, that's the reality. And it wasn't just about the, the Premier there. It was all the other people who were in the room that you're trying to make some connections and build some allegiances so that yep. you can change decision-making and thinking. Um, so all the environmental and conservation groups were in the room that day. So it's an opportunity to actually 
try and influence some of their thinking and remind them that agriculture is actually the key to what they're trying to achieve because we are one of the largest managers of the you know landscape in Australia. Look, I won't shy away from it because if we the government will do what the government will do, we we have to actually try and influence what they're doing. And by by not being there, we can't influence it. So we can't get our one conversation in one sentence in. Um, we can't build those alliances with unusual people. Um, look, it is you know the environmental groups are supportive of what we're doing with this piece. It is a challenge because the I'm sure the climate change minister is also wanting to make sure that the carbon capture and storage goes ahead. So there's this this diff, really difficult nexus that we're all in at the moment. There are producers that want to take advantage of renewables, and they know that that's part of you know the jobs and skills plan for decarbonising the economy. Yep. Um, but they they can see an income source. Their neighbours don't want to be. So we've got really complex conversations happening. And what I think is important is that we actually keep staying in those conversations. Um, an an anti-terrorist negotiator shared with me years ago that what they try and do is stay in the grey. We can't just be black and white. We actually have to spend a lot of time in the grey listening to other people, trying to find different solutions. Old solutions are not going to work for what we're dealing with at the moment. These are really complex issues that we're facing as community and industry and we've got to keep sitting at the table and having those conversations and we won't shy away from that. No and question. I've got to ask you, you Georgie, know, though, I deeply respect yourself and Mike Gearing, as you know, but what has the government done in our time of this, and you're talking about it at the table so we can chat, what have they shown in any way that they are prepared to, to help us? Because I, I can't come up with it. And so we can sit yeah. at the table, we can sit at the table all we want and try and influence people and have discussions. Mm. I'd like you as an Ag Force president to tell me what they have done that has improved the way that we operate and made it easier for us to operate. Because to me, who's a simple man, I don't know anything. Well, I'm not sure that any government of any colour makes life easier for us at the moment because there's been some things federally under the coalition government that have no made life a bit difficult as well. So, look, I, I will say things like the, the low emissions roadmap. I think if we hadn't been at the table, we would have it would have come out with targets, measures, and we're going to achieve this by X. And we were able to turn that around so that we don't have punitive measures, but we do have in we will be developing. So we're on that way at the moment of developing incentives so that we can actually gain from this and not be punished. And that that to me is one of those things. It took a couple of years, and they were long meetings, but the the early stages were, well, the easy thing is we'll just set some targets and then we'll know when we've achieved it and we can move on to the next project. Well, no, this is a long and complex process. You're taking people on a, you know, consultant jargon, a change journey. Um, we actually need to spend time thinking about this and not punishing industry. So I, I don't disagree with you that things have become more complex and it's not just around these things. It's also around workplace regulation, um, it's around transport. There's, there's so many areas and there's so many fronts. I mean, one, one week last year, I think we had six submissions due in one week, which is why I think it's so critical that you have an organisation like AgForce continuing to try and push back on these things. You know, globally, we've got this, the Task Force for Nature-Related Financial Disclosures. Again, through the NFF, we're trying to push back on those sorts of things, make sure that industry won't be punished. Um, I'm, I'm not sure we're going to be able to put up in headlines, uh, this, this made things easier, but what we've got to try and 
avoid is perverse outcomes and trying to look at if you bring this in, what's going to be the perverse outcome in 20 years? Because sometimes we don't, we can't see the perverse outcome when we first look at it. You've got to actually think about it and have that long-term view. And you know, we, we have to be really, really aware of everything that's going on. And I'm, you know, I, I don't know where the rest of this conversation is going to land and where we're going to end up with renewables and that plan yeah. and so forth. But we've got to dig in for every stage of this journey, and we've not we've got to not shy away from having difficult conversations with people we wouldn't normally work with. Well, I will ask everybody who is listening to please donate, and I mean that genuinely. I, I, I thank you, Ben. I absolutely will say that I understand that it is a harder job, and it's easy to look from the outside and take pot shots. It's that that you know that is an easier thing to do than to be at the table. You have a lot more faith in this government um, than hope than I actually do, and um, uh, I, I really hope that we can see some light out of this one with the Great Artesian Basin, um, and hopefully come October, and these are my words, they are absolutely gone and removed, and I think that would make life a hell of a lot easier for everybody. Georgie Somerset, I thank you for giving me some time this morning, I really do. Uh, we'll catch up again shortly, appreciate your time. Thanks for your support, Ben. Cheers. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Uh, Tim Horan joins us this morning, one of Queensland's greats. He's a Rugby Hall of Fame, uh, Queensland Rugby Hall of Fame, Australian Rugby Hall of Fame. He joins us this morning and this Super Rugby competition kicks and gets underway tonight in Melbourne. Tim Horan joins us. Hello, mate. How are you? G'day, Dobbo. Yeah, looking forward to it. It's come around pretty quick, hasn't it? I'm just about to board a plane to Melbourne, as you mentioned. The Rebels take on the Brumbies from Canberra. So, um, yeah, it's a, it starts pretty quickly. There's a big game on this afternoon, virtually a grand final rematch from the Chiefs, who are based in Hamilton in New Zealand, up against the Crusaders from Christchurch. So that matches the, the grand final rep. So it's a couple of big matches to start off. And, um, yeah, after the Rugby World Cup happened, I think, you know, fans in Australia, you know, need a bit to hope about there is you know some decent teams that are going to challenge the New Zealand teams for one so um, yeah looking forward to it. I was out in Roma you know a couple of weeks ago for the trial game that Santos Festival of Rugby that you and I spoke about and great to see so many fans that came along to Roma to watch the Waratahs play the Reds and Reds were very successful in that game and yeah but you know all the, the sevens that were on the, awesome. the boys awesome. and girls it was an incredible atmosphere that you know and country rugby is still pretty strong What's going on with the Rebels, mate? Are they going to fold? I mean, they'll play. It is a really concerning situation. Um, and I don't want to start a negative because the Reds take on the Waratahs tomorrow night, and I want to get to that shortly. But your take on the Rebels at the moment? Oh, I think they're in trouble now, Dobbo. They'll definitely play this season. So in this first six months of this year, and you know, I was talking to the new Rugby Australia CEO, Phil Wall, through the week, and I said, well, you know, we'll, I'm, I'm concerned that they won't finish this year. He said, no, they're all, all obligations are, are okay this year. Players will be paid this year. Um, the coaches have uh, got a new contract underneath Rugby Australia now for six months. So, you know, and, unless the Victorian government come through and say, okay, we're really keen on the Rugby World Cup final at the MCG at 2027, yep. and we need the Rebels to be successful and still be in the competition between now and again, that's their probably only saviour is the Victorian government doing something or someone like, I can't see it happening, another big benefactor coming in and funding the Rebels. I, I think their last game this season will be the last game for the Rebels, unfortunately. It's a, it's a sad day, but I can't believe how they let it 
gets so bad when you don't pay your tax bill of over $11 million and you're also not playing superannuation and staff. So that's the issue. I really feel for the players, Dobbo, because if you're a player, you know, Tanya Latupo, one of the biggest names yeah. in Australian rugby, goes from the Reds to the Melbourne Rebels. Um, Nick Stiles, who's down there, is a former Queensland Reds coach, is general manager down there. He's got a great list together now. But then they'll all be split up probably amongst other super rugby teams and half of them will have to go offshore if they want to keep playing rugby. It's not great for rugby union either way um, when one of the footprint teams is out of the competition. The Brumbies look very strong, but the game that is exciting everybody is tomorrow night. Um, playing for the Bob Templeton Cup, the Reds take on the Waratahs. That's at Suncorp Stadium. It's a 7 o'clock start, um, which is phenomenal. And this is a great game of football. The Reds... Under Les Kiss, they promise so much, Tim. Yeah, they do. And, you know, I think every season, every pre-season, all, all, all teams and players are fitter and faster on a different game plan. So I think what Les Kiss will do, he'll, he'll bring a different um, pattern, a different style of game to what Brad Thorne had. I think Brad Thorne was, you know, very forward-orientated as well and, and you know, had a different style. And I think Les Kiss is giving the license to these um, younger players like Geordie Pattaya and you know Tom Liner who'll start tomorrow night at number 10 giving them the license to, to just to play um, they're experienced enough these players now they're not young anymore they might be young in age but they're not young and experienced so yeah, I think Les, I had a chat with him through the week and he, um, you know, very relaxed and measured coach and he understands how important it is to you know get a good start in this competition yeah, the, you like the Tom Liner got the start at five eight. Is that a little unexpected or a safe pick? Probably more of a safe pick, Dobbo. Um, Harry McLaughlin Phillips, who's this young nineteen year old from my old club at South, who's been in the Australian twenty squad for the last two or three years. He's he looks really sharp, but I think it's probably a good call from Les. He's going to start him on the bench, Harry McLaughlin Phillips, so he'll get some time and. Um, Tom Lyon has been there before. He's had plenty of matches under his belt last year for the Reds at fly half. So I think it's a good call, making sure that you've got a young kid who's 19. He's, he's got 10 years in front of him. So just don't overdo it. Don't throw him in early on. And, you know, for the Reds, they need, a, they need you know, their first four or five matches are pretty tough. But they've got a few home games. So, you know, you want to win most of those so that after five rounds, maybe your four wins and one loss and then that gives you this opportunity to maybe finish in the top four. Yeah, and that's the thing that uh, we're, we're all looking forward to. Now, last night, Stan released a new documentary. Um, can we talk about that? That's quite unbelievable. Yeah, um, it's all about the behind the scenes of Eddie Jones and you know what a disaster that was in the end. At the start, you know everyone was so excited about Eddie Jones and I was a bit measured about it because I've seen um, Eddie before and how you know, what he'd done with other teams, you know, whether it was England or, you know, and there was a lot of assistant coaches that you talked to that, you know, Eddie Jones had jettisoned out of, you know, the coaching structure. So, yeah, it was, I've, I've seen the documentary. It's a three-part series from Stan and gets you, gets you right in behind what Eddie Jones, his coaching staff and the players thought throughout that Rugby World Cup and even before the Rugby World Cup where the Wallabies went really close in Dunedin against the All Blacks and probably should have beaten the All Blacks. I think they were up. 17-0 at half time. how they went from that game to then just imploding through that Rugby World Cup in you know, the loss against Fiji. They got belted against Wales. And, and Dobbo, the most disappointing thing was when you know, we're commentating there for that Wales game in France and 25 minutes to go, you see 
all these Australian supporters who love the game, pay all this money, save their money to be there, get up and walk out. That's I haven't seen anything like that in my whole time of playing or commentating on the game. And that's that was the most disappointing part of the documentary, seeing fans walk out 25 minutes early. But, you know, you hear from players, James Slipper and other players, Carter Gordon, how he potentially can bounce back after his disappointment as well. Are we in the, on the right track, Tim? I mean, are we on the right track, do you believe? Yeah, I think it's going to take a little bit of time, Dobbo. I think, you know, financially, like I still think we've, you know, you talk about the Rebels. I still think we've got we, we've got enough talent and players to have five teams in Australia. What we don't have is the financial stability to have five teams in Australia. So that's the challenge. And um, yeah, I think country rugby is really important. The grassroots level, you know, boys and girls playing sevens competitions. They don't have to play fifteen aside. Just get them to play seven aside. Um, that gets them an entree into the game of rugby. Then they might take mum and dad to a game, and that's where we've got to get back into the grassroots level. Club footy is really important because you know the rivalry in club football is yeah. is, is where it all starts. And then the Wallabies need to be successful. I think that's the flow grassroots first then the Wallabies so um, yeah it's great great behind the scenes and you know Eddie Jones didn't last that long and now he's going to be coaching Japan yeah unbelievable um, I'm, I'm looking forward to having a conversation it's going to be very very interesting to see uh, where the Reds end up this year and the Wallabies I can't wait for Saturday night. Um, the Reds take on the Waratahs. There's still tickets available. People need to get down to it. I really appreciate your time, Tim. Thanks so much for being with us. Good on you, Dobbo. Thank yeah. you, mate. Yeah, looking forward to coming back Saturday night for the for the Reds game. And then the Reds play the last game of the season, the last round against the Waratahs in Sydney. So round one and the last round of the competition, um, the big match between New South Wales and Queensland. Can't wait. Good on you, Dobbo. Good to chat. Good on you. We'll take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland Today. That's it from us here this morning at Rural Queensland Today. Hope you've enjoyed the show. We're back again on Monday morning on Rural Queensland Today. Have a great day. And remember, when the weed is ripe, keep the headers rolling in the paddock. Stay safe on the roads. Bill McDonald joins you next. The best of will be back tomorrow morning as well. Have a great weekend. And we will talk to you then on Rural Queensland Today across the Resonate Broadcast Network. Till next time, from everybody here at Rural Queensland Today, it's bye for now.